Before we start today's episode of the Listen In Podcast, I just wanted to give you the every single week obligatory reminder to give us a follow on Twitter at Listen In Pod. And without further ado, let's start the show. Welcome, everybody, to the new and improved Listen In Podcast. That's right. We are finally recording with two separate microphones. So our voices should be coming through crisp and clear. I'm hopeful that the uh, the change brings about a noticeable difference in the quality of the podcast. Um, but but you never know. I'm actually, it's like, I'm sitting here like kind of giggling through it. It's like, ooh, I'm not it's used like, to doing it this way. Yeah. It feels very different. It does, um, yeah. It, episode 62. It took us 62 episodes to be like, oh, you know what? This is a thing that we're uh, we're pretty invested in, so let's let's do it the right way. Maybe we shouldn't just have one mic in between us, just generally, and like not like sit anywhere near the mic. Right. So, yeah, no, th- this feels good. Um, by the way, new listeners, we're a music podcast. We talk music on this show, and uh, we're going to dive in now with our first segment, Hot Thoughts. Hot Thoughts. Um, which is basically... <laughs> it's basically uh, just hot takes, but we call it Hot Thoughts because it's funny to us and because it's the name of a spoon song. Slash, um, like, a... Uh, Funny urban dictionary saying that, that hole over there. That hole over there. Which doesn't. I don't know if coming from a white guy in New I th- Hampshire. I don't think I we're supposed say to say that. Say that. I, don't I don't think we're like allowed to say that. We'll edit that out. Well, yeah, that's we'll definitely that's, gone. that's that on the cutting room floor. Uh, first hot thought. So exciting news. Um, Pitchfork best new music on March second. Vagabond mm-hmm. uh, for her album Infinite Worlds. So this is one that you and I. Uh, I've been listening to for the past week. No big deal. We were we were on it before Pitchfork was. Not, not a big deal, Pitchfork, well, but, you know, step your game up. Literally not a big deal. Just got deal, cucked by the listening podcast. Yeah, so <laughs> up your game a little bit, Pitchfork, <laughs> you know? You, you got scooped by us. Um, so this album by Vagabond, uh, I had listened to her EP previous to this because I saw she was getting some buzz on Pitchfork, so they actually mm, kind of... Mm. We'll edit that out. We'll edit that out. <laughs> yeah. we, we discovered her on our own. Um, I liked that enough. I liked some of the singles I heard from this album. Uh, and so I was excited for when it came out. And it seemed like she's been getting a lot of buzz in indie circles and obviously in music blogs and stuff like that. So, um, But, okay, here's an interesting thing, Sean. Here's my hot thought. First three, four listens through, I wasn't loving it, to be honest. I just, for some reason... I was like, you know, this is getting a lot of love. Big friend of the pod, Cam, is all about it. Um, Pitchfork's all about it. Everyone, AV Club gave it an A. Yeah. I was like, why am I not all in? I just, for a while, felt like the songs weren't there. I had a couple, my most recent listens, I've been more in on it than I had been. I wouldn't say I am in love with the album, though. Yeah, um, so I remember texting you when I when we first listened to this last Friday when it came out, and I was like, ooh, I'm really enjoying this. This is good. This is cool stuff. Then I listened a couple times over the weekend, and I was like, wait, I'm not enjoying this as much as I first thought I was. And I had kind of the same reaction of you, where I was like, the songs don't feel like they're there. And then I was listening more this week. I had my best listens the past couple days, and I'm coming back around on it. Do I think that it's maybe getting a tad bit overrated? Maybe. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I do think it is. But let me bring this up to you. I think this is an apt comparison because when you first 
when we were texting about it, you said, reminds me a lot of Frankie Cosmos. Her voice, I got the yeah. exact same thing in tone and in the length of the album. It's only, tw- what, 27 minutes, 28 minutes, whatever yeah, it is? real short. So it's pretty short. Um, f- interestingly enough, uh, Greta Klein yeah. is featured on this album and, oh. like, knows, um, I forget her name by Vagabond. I don't Vagabond. remember Vagabond's name. Um, but she is featured on this album vocal-wise. I guess <clears throat> they perform at the same like DIY space in Brooklyn because um, of course they do her sound seems in, informed by yeah. that sort of yeah. the sound that whatever Frankie Cosmos is channeling in her music it they seem to be informed by similar influences and if you remember it took us a while to get into Frankie Cosmos last year where it was the same thing it was getting a lot of good reviews and we were like I don't really get it but then we eventually came around and we started loving it I think this might be kind of the same thing yeah, maybe it is. I it, it's an interesting album because it kind of jumps all around, and I think what it is for me, it's it's like what you just said. I I just the songs that are on the album, none of them totally grabbed me, and from like a songwriting perspective, it also jumps around a bit. So you have like a few songs that seem inspired by like guitar indie sort of a basic I don't know about basic but like a, a sound we'd be more accustomed to and then there's that track in the middle that's like five Malaise, minutes yeah. which I actually love yeah, I actually really, really cool. like that song but it um, it doesn't sound much like the rest of the album and then it returns to sort of more of that sound she's doing a lot of things here um, and I think it's going to take me a few more listens but uh, I just I think that overall maybe I'm missing something so listeners tweet at us at listen in pod there's some integrated marketing for Ooh. you Sean um, free tip uh <laughs> <laughs> See how it seemed natural? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I noticed that. It's like uh, content marketing. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, tweet at us and let us know what you think and, and um, if we're missing something about this album, because I, I do think it'll grow on me. And like I said, my most recent listens have been my best. Yeah. Um, but it, I, I don't know. I still feel like I'm a little bit missing the boat. Yeah, uh, just last thing for me, my two favorite songs, I think, are the first track, The Embers. Mm-hmm. I really like that song. And then uh, Cleaning House is another one, too, towards the end of the album. Those are my two favorites so far. But yeah, I think it'll take probably a couple more listens before uh, I'm totally in love with it. Here's another one that's kind of along the same lines for us. Another best new music by Pitchfork. Uh, this is... This is a good week for the over for you, by the way. That's right. And for anyone who doesn't know, we have an over-under challenge going on the podcast where we guessed the amount of Pitchfork best new musics that we're going to get throughout the year. What's our number again? We set it at, I think it's at 46 and a half or 47 and a half, something yeah. like that. We're on pace right now. Especially we're on with, pace. We've hit like three in the last week. We have, but you can't count on those weeks. The pace no, is going to come up and it's down. It's going to come and go. It's going to yeah, come and go. Absolutely. Next week you get hit five days in a row. <laughs> One of them has two. Uh, so this album got a best new music from Pitchfork. Thundercat with his new album, Drunk. So I was always under the impression, Jake, that you were a, like really all in on Thundercat. Yeah. Well, um, what it is is that I really enjoyed the epic by Kamasi Washington. Um I really enjoy Flying Lotus, and Thundercat is, like, kind of their boy. They, like, they run in the same circles in terms of, like, they they all collaborate commonly with Kendrick Lamar, and they all make music together, Um, and I really like all of the surrounding music, so I I always felt like by just sort of, I made the assumption, by association I would be way into Thundercat. He released an EP a couple years ago, I can't remember the name of it, um, that I did enjoy, I was never all in on it. I like Kamasi and Flying Lotus's music better, 
Um, but Thundercat, every time I've listened, I've been like, yeah, this is okay. I can dig what he's doing. On this album, though, I gave it a listen. First of all, it's over 50 minutes long. And, and I will admit to this is to an untrained ear because I'm not exactly someone who uh, frequents in the funk and soul mm. sort of genres. But a lot of the riffs on this album and a lot of the melodies feel sort of the same, which is I, I, yeah. after, I know that if anyone's listening who's a Thundercat fan, you're like, dude, one listen and and, <laughs> well, you, and you white boy and you admit you don't even have that much of an ear for it but i'll just say i i i can't doesn't mean it didn't feel that way well here's here's the thing uh, like i think we kind of just touched on this the degree of difficulty for people like us who don't listen to this genre is going to be pretty high right i bet this is probably a pretty accessible and awesome album for people who are already into this genre right for us you know this isn't our bread and butter so of course after one listen we're gonna be like oh yeah i didn't really like it i like rock music (laughs) the national but the thing is is i like there's stuff i enjoy about it that's a tough thing is like it's just not my wheelhouse, not totally where I... It's not home base for me. It's not even right. close. It's, it's a reach for me to listen to 50 minutes of this kind of music. Do I like Thundercat as, like, a guy in the music industry? I think he's really cool. I love that he, like, owns... That he's a bass player and makes that his own shtick and that he's, like, this phenom bass player. Like, that's not something a lot of people go out there and do. Um, and I think he has a style that's sort of all his own. And I just think maybe after one listen, I like it in smaller doses, but I don't know. I think sure. I, I'm gonna have to give it at least one more listen to determine if it's something I want to return to more. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's like you said, it's over 50 minutes long, but it's only 23 songs, so it yeah. feels, or no, not only 23 songs, it is 23 yeah. songs, which is a lot. <laughs> but the, what I meant to say, I was gonna say, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what I meant to say, that's like that's like the joke, like, well. You know, out there when I'm playing basketball, I can't rebound, but I can't shoot, so it evens out. <laughs> right. You can slip that by people. Right. But what I meant to say is the songs are all only about two minutes long, probably, about yeah, they on are, average. they're more or less so, short. Uh, I think that helps it be a little bit more digestible, but like you said, I felt a lot of it sounded similar. Uh, again, not my wheelhouse. I did like a couple of the songs. Unsurprisingly, I really liked Walk On By, the Kendrick feature on here. You know what I thought was interesting? I realized more with this listen how much To Pimp a Butterfly, the sound of that album, and the stuff Kendrick's been doing is actually informed by what Thundercat does. Because I think Thundercat brings a lot to the table on several Kendrick songs on To Pimp a Butterfly. Like There's this sound, there's these vocals that he... Is it it, um, Wesley's Theory that he sings on, I think? Where he has this... Thundercat sings in a way where you can definitely tell it's him. Sounds like Kendrick was uh, just appropriating Thundercat's music so Kendrick in, really might not even be that talented an is that what you're saying and uh, not what I'm saying oh, okay. an, an okay. interesting take to be sure okay, so Jake confirmed just said Kendrick Lamar not that talented Thundercat voice of a generation gotcha moving on to our next topic here on hot thoughts that was quite the hot thought by the way from you, you from you words out of your mouth straight from the horse's mouth listeners you caught me you got me uh, new Lord song came out today. Green so light. we've been waiting with a bated breath, Jake. Bated breath for you know, a new Lord song. Real quick on bated breath. It's a phrase that I've always <laughs> it thought. Makes me uncomfortable. It's disgusting. Because yeah, okay, it's... first of all, any kind of breath <laughs> is gross. <laughs> it, it, like describing like sp- there's flowers that are called baby's breath. Gross. Ew. What does that smell like? Like Gerber's, <laughs> and like you can throw up, and like your parents. 
brush your teeth, <laughs> making air quotes, but it's like it's a pain in the ass because you cry the whole time. And it's just your gums. Yeah. So. Anything breath, bated breath, it's a, it's a it's gross not a gr- phrase. No, I don't like it's that. A gross phrase. And I'm being a little facetious here because it seems like this Lord song, there was a lot of hype leading up to this, yeah. this release for it. And um, I like Lord. I like Lord fine, but I can't say I was like, oh my God, when are we getting a new Lord single, you know? Yeah, I wasn't waiting literally with bated right, breath. Right. Um, so I listened to this song twice today, then I watched the music video. Um, and based on what she was saying, she was tweeting about how like she's really proud of this song. She thinks it has a new sound. Um, this might be a little bit too negative from the jump, but I feel like it's a different sound for going the wrong way, in my mind. It's definitely catchy. It's. I think it's a good song. I kind of miss the the dark moodiness of what mm. she was doing on on hits from her last album. I never listened to that full record. Um, it's good. It, pure heroin. Pure. Yeah. I listened to like the hits. Um, and kind I, of uh, irresponsible of her. She has a lot of young fans who are pretty impressionable. Maybe Lord is. So what you're saying, what you just said, was that Lord is responsible for the heroin epidemic that is sweeping the Northeast. Right. The album's heroin with an E, like the, right, the female yeah, so, version of a so, hero. Yeah. Lord's responsible. <laughs> Straight from the horse's mouth. Wow, you you got me twice on this episode so far, just coming in from the rafters with, with boiling hot takes. Um, but hot I just, thoughts. I think that this is an interesting song, and it's it's good enough, but I it has like kind of a little more pop sheen than I expected. Oh, I mean, she's, yeah, she's always yeah. been a pop artist, obviously, but she I always felt like with her other, with her previous hits, they had kind of a sound that was hers, a little more like gloomy and atmospheric mm. almost. This one... I don't know, maybe I just need more time with it or something, but it doesn't feel like something I totally love. Yeah, I listened a few times. Um, Favorite song of the year. It's not, it's not as immediately unique to Lord. I think you're right, as as some of the other singles were. Um, I like it. I think it's good. I, I'm wondering. I never know how to take these types of songs, like... From the big pop artists, when they come out with a new single, especially someone like Lord, who has only had one album, I feel like that second album is a big make-or-break thing for them, and it really dictates where their career is going to go. Yep. For example, you can become like a Rihanna, and just every album that comes out and every single is going to be top 40, number one. Or you can turn into someone like Lana Del Rey, who after that first album had a wide, widespread appeal but then kind of went down her own path, went down her own lane, shied away from the radio a little bit. I feel like Lord is in that mode right now where it's like, what is it actually going to be with her? And based on this, I feel like she's gunning for that top 40 radio play. Oh, I definitely think yeah, so. I definitely yeah. think so. And I, I was reading about the song, and she said um, this was based off of, like, the first true heartbreak that she's had in her life. And that line, which I actually really like, is... She thinks you like the beach. You're such a damn liar, or yeah, something. I thought that line. was cool. Yeah, she's like that was like a real thing. So just real quick for the record, Lord is 20, yeah, um, and has accomplished a thousand times what either of us. Well, ever I will. mean, Jake, we're recording a podcast in your bedroom right now, and I don't know if you knew this or not, but we are using two microphones to do it now. That's so kind of a big eat deal. Your heart out, Lord. Also, I'm looking at the levels and and. I got. I think your mic picks oh, up a lot better. It might, it's not you. And I'm also like very excited. And yeah, we're not used. To, I have like jitters. Yeah, yeah. I never get. I ner- think you're talking softly. I'm not trying. I'm trying to talk into okay, the microphone. Okay. I just like maybe it's, we're farther apart than we usually are. I know. Aren't we? 
I don't know. It feels uh, a little bit. There's some distance. Maybe we're growing apart. Maybe 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 episode 62 is the last one. (laughs) Maybe it is. Maybe it is. You're a goddamn liar. (laughs) Sean? Uh, Yeah, so that was Hot Thoughts this week. Let us know what your thoughts are. I feel like overall lukewarm responses to the to the music we had this past week yeah. which might upset some people who knows yeah, but it wasn't actually that hot it was, yeah. those, those weren't the hottest they of were thoughts lukewarm. to be honest yeah, because they were like chowder you put in the microwave that you didn't put on for enough time because you weren't sure how long it should be on for yeah we basically with all three of those we were like yeah yeah yeah. yeah. well you know I mean pretty yeah, good it's, well you know I, I, I don't dislike it <laughs> That was the ex- that's hot thoughts for you right there. Hot thoughts. Uh, what do okay. we got next? So this is a new segment that we want to do. This is at the end of every month, we want to do something called monthly fireside chat. This is basically to wrap up the month that was, take mm-hmm. stock of where we are and where we're going, Jake. Figure out what's <laughs> what's ahead of us. This is the time to take stock of sort of emotionally, just take inventory <laughs> of where we're at yep. and, and where we're headed as a podcast. That's right. Uh, but and really, a couple co hosts. Like, you know, is there anything that we want to hash out on air? What's funny is that that's actually not what the segment is. The segment is just <laughs> the segment's just talking about the month we just had. Right. Because it's March 2nd, which means February just ended. Um, Thank fucking Christ. February is... Sorry to all my uh, religious listeners out there. Sorry about the the blaspheming uh, and taking the Lord's name in vain. Especially during Lent. Sean, Ah, during Lent... I'm going to give that up for Lent. I'll give that up. We'll cut that last part. Yeah, so... You're going to give up what? Blaspheming? Yes. Well, you shouldn't need to give that up for Lent, Sean. You should just never (laughs) do it. You're right. You're right. Uh, So, monthly fireside chat. March is here. February as a month. What, What were your overall thoughts on February? I'm looking right now at my list of albums I listened to in February. It looks like I had 14 total. Um, the highlights. Ooh, sick, ba- sick brag. Uh, just you know, just wow. saying. Some people See, don't even listen to that many in a year, Jake, in their lives. You know, some people don't have clean water to drink. <laughs> you heard of Flint, Michigan? You fuck. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, I just, I'll, I'm, you know, you're putting a lot of words in my mouth today. I feel like this is a tense episode. <laughs> yeah, it's the new mics. It's, it's the new mics. I'm new... like, ooh, I can just go, go off the rails here. That's right. I think what we should try to do is use the mics and still talk. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. So looking at it, my, some of the highlights are like the Menzingers after the party. Dirty Projectors album, um, the Sun Kill Moon album for sure is a oh, highlight. Yeah, uh, if highlights mean like low lights, just completely punishing experiences I'll never return to. Um, Tinaruwen, my boys. Who could forget Tinaruwen? You evidently. What were some of your highlights? Uh, my favorite album of the month uh, was the Menzingers with After the Party. I mean, it was we just me spent five minutes talking about how we're lukewarm on Thundercat, so obviously we'd love an album by the Menzingers, the who Menzingers. are a white rock band from Pennsylvania. Uh, so that was my favorite album of the month. I also really enjoyed uh, Jessica Hoop with uh, Memories Are Now. I love this album as so, well. You know what's interesting? Whose name? Well, hold on. Let's make this clear. For the record, listeners, her name is not Jessica Hoop. Her name is Jessica Hoop. It, yeah. J E S C A. Jessica. So, which phonetically, when you say it, it's. Greta? Just, <laughs> Greta? It just sounds like you're saying Jessica. You it can't, does. It you does. can't tell somebody, like, oh, I like, you like Jessica Hoop? They just assume their brain does the thing where, like, if you see a shape without the corners, like if you see a triangle without its corners filled out, your brain fills it out for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. If you hear Jessica, you, your brain just makes that Jessica. That's right. 
That's a little psychology bites for you right there, by the way. Just a free, that's a free, you can just edit that out, and that's just a free sort of brain cognition podcast. I'll put that in my back pocket. By me, alone. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, Animal my Collective podcast. even came out with a nice little EP that was pretty decent. Vagabond, yeah. like we talked about, Dirty Projectors. What would you say was the better month for music, Jake? Would you say it was Ooh. January, or would you say it was February so far? Um, I am going to go with... Um, January by a hair yeah, me too. because me too. I am all in on Cloud Nothing still. I'm still all in on Foxygen, and I really love the Julie Byrne album. Mm. Um, and I, I listened to Japan Droid some more lately too, and we saw them live. So I think overall, I think that the Menzingers is one of my favorite albums of the year, and Jessica Hoop is too. I think there's more albums from January so far that are, that are in my rotation more often. <laughs> me too. And there might be more misses in February. I would agree with that. Sunkill Moon is the big miss of the year. Oh, but for you know me what so I've far. you know what I've been loving is that Visible Cloaks album. Yeah, that's is good. it Cloaks or Cloak? Cloaks. Oh, I have it down as Cloak. Visible Cloaks. That's an entry. Reassemblage. Error. Nice little ambient album there. Uh, okay, so in terms of where we stand with 2017 as a music year so far, yeah, I I think the health of of the of the year is good. We're I think, going strong. I, thought, I think we're off to a stronger start this year than we were last year. I think I agree. And with some of the projections we have, the financial projections. Right. It, it, see, listeners, if you could see right now, I have like a big old-fashioned pull-down projector thing and like in front of a chalkboard, and I'm mm -hmm. pointing to a graph that just has a general line. <laughs> going up. Just, <laughs> going just, to the moon. just projecting upwards. <laughs> yeah. So if you look at our monthly projection, Sean, from March, I, we have new sorority noise. We have new spoon. Yeah. Um, some other stuff, I think. There's a lot of stuff coming out in March. I think Long my, month. my most anticipated is that Sorority Noise album. Me too. I'm I think very it's gonna be excited awesome. for that, based on what we've heard so far. Right. Um, that's not just because Cam is a big friend of the pod. Big friend of the pod. Cam has been getting some shine yeah, in, the, dude, in the press. Yes. He's, like, he's on like every music blog that you could... Think of that Fader article was cool yeah. with all the like the the pictures that it, they took of him. I, mean, I feel like he's uh this he's poised to. I think he knows how to like do it. I think he, Cam knows how to like network with these mm, people. Definitely. That's that's not me. That's not like a, a sellout comment. I just think that Cam understands how to put his be best foot forward. I agree with the people who can help him like get a little shine. I agree. I agree. Um, it's that St. Joe's education we all had. You know, God bless St. Joe's. <laughs> Actually, my least favorite experience I ever had. Wow. Uh, okay. New segment again. Uh, well, not really a segment. It's kind of a feature. This is a this is a feature. Article. This is a feature article here. Uh, we wanted to do a 2014 revisited. So, segment. Sean, what we need is a little context because you have a story yeah. that backs this up. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I'll drink water in the meantime, listeners. Oh, good, good. Bad radio. Uh, so, what ended up happening was I was on Twitter this past week and I saw our good friend Ian Cohen, big friend of the pod. Big shout Again, to Ian. Again, kind of contemporaries with him. We're kind of peers in, the music, sort of, in the music biz. He's actually been sort of copying us lately. Yeah, he kind of has. Like, oh, you listen to punk bands too, Ian Cohen? Ooh, mm -hmm. Big friend of the pod. Uh, so, what Ian Cohen tweeted out, he it was the three year anniversary of Home Like No Place. Is there? Yeah. I always mess that up. It's just like an inverted sentence. Yeah, it, it like frustrates me. It's weird. By the hotel year, and he was saying, oh, great, seven more years till I get to write a 10th anniversary piece about this. And I was like, whoa, like, yeah, three years since 2014 now. That's right. That's a really interesting year for a lot of different reasons. The first is that most people, most music fans, music critics would cite 2014 
as the low watermark for music in the 2010s so far. I'll so, stop you there. I feel like it's. I agree with when you say music critics. I think most music casual music fans probably don't think of it. Well, that way. I think I think if you're on if you're plugged into music, I think you're like, yeah, 2014 maybe wasn't the best. Right. Um, definitely music critics would say yeah. 2014 was a down year for music. So what we wanted to do with that tweet that Cohen had sent out, kind of recontextualizing 2014 and taking into account the fact that a lot of people say 2014 isn't the best year, we wanted to look back and figure out if that was actually true and right. revisit some of these releases, revisit our thoughts on it and see if three years removed that kind of holds up still or if... Our, our thoughts or opinions have changed a little bit. So let me just kind of break down. Let me give you what some of the major releases were during this year. And this is kind of the ones that were on a lot of end-of-the-year critics lists um, and a lot of the ones that we both listened to. So in 2014, you had Run the Jewels 2. You had FKA Twigs with her first album. You had a new Bombay Bicycle Club album. You had the War on Drugs, uh, Lost in the Dream album. You had Benji by Sun Kill Moon. You had an, an acclaimed Swans album called To Be Kind that I've never listened neither to. Neither have I. I've never listened to Swans. No, me neither. In general. Uh, a new Ariel Pink album, that Caribou record. Perfume Genius came out with his second album. Mac DeMarco came out with another one. Real Estate, Spoon, Angel Olsen, St. Vincent. TV on the Radio came out with one towards the end of the year, which people kind of forget about. Was that Seeds? Seeds, yep. yeah. Wild Beasts, Future Islands came out with uh, singles in 2014. Parquet Courts. Sean's favorite band. <laughs> How to Dress Well. Taylor Swift with 1989. Uh, Cloud Nothings with uh, Here and Nowhere Else. Yep. And then we have a couple interesting big singles that came out that year, too, that kind of took over the radio and pop culture. You had I Love McConnell with... Club going up on a Tuesday featuring Drake. Got your girl in the cut, she Tuesday. That's right. Drake didn't come out with a record that year, but he had zero to one hundred slash the catch up, which was a huge song, one of my favorite Drake songs. Real and quick. then you had uh Take Me to Church by, by Hosier. Hosier. Which, Is it Hosier? 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 I don't I don't know. I, I don't, don't totally know. know how to pronounce it. So here's Trust Tree for you, Sean, yeah. really quick. Yeah. Just real quick, then we'll get back to the topic at hand. I can't somehow get into Hosier. I don't know what I it like is. Basically, two songs. I like "Take Me to Church" and I like uh, that other one that's really catchy. The fall in love just a little. Yeah, that one. That I don't one. like that song. I love that song. That, that song's song great. Kind of bugs me for nah, some that reason. Awesome. I don't know what it is, but back to the topic at hand. So, so what I wanted to bring up about about all of these releases is yep. that on one hand, you, there seems to be a huge void in big pop releases other yeah. than 1989 by Taylor Swift. And I've noticed Taylor Swift kind of does this. She almost picks off years for pop music. Do you think she's that deliberate about it? I don't know. I, I, I don't think so. I think it has just happened to be that way where like she seems to dominate the pop releases. Like there's no Adele's, there's no Rihanna's, there's like no one else that's coming out with big stuff. Sure. She happens to be the one. And 2017 is trending to be another year like that where we had a bunch of big pop albums last year. Taylor Swift is going to fill that void this year potentially. The other thing that I notice about this is that this whole list, if you're reading this list back to me like I just did, this reads to me like the last gasp of indie rock being the thing that dominates end-of-the-year lists and being the thing that dominates 
is the quote-unquote most relevant music to come out. I was actually shocked looking back at some of the end-of-the-year lists at how high they had things like Real Estate. That right. Real Estate album is like... It was okay. Okay. It was like pretty good. And it's like number 13 on Pitchfork's end-of-the-year list. Yeah, Pitchfork has since sort of taken their foot off the gas pedal with, with rock music. And that's what I mean. That seems yeah. to be the last year that they were really all in on it. Looking through this... War on Drugs, number two album of the year. Oh, wow. Or that's, three. Two or three. And that's a sound now that... I mean, and I'll admit that I didn't listen to that album a ton. I listened to a decent little amount, but um, it's not an album that is a sound that's very in vogue now at all. No. Like it kind of it call, it's like a callback to some classic rock and stuff like that. Oh, big time! Um, looking at this list, the ones that immediately jump out to me as favorites were Run the Jewels Two, which I loved, Benji, which I think I'd call my favorite from that year by Sun Kill Moon, me too, it's my favorite, and Future Islands. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that it's it is interesting that rock. I think fills that ranking up a lot more than it might this year because if you look at the past couple years it's definitely more rap and R&B and I don't know Run the Jewels FKA Twigs stuff like that I think sort of I don't it didn't start it but I feel like that was that stuff starting to seep more to creep and more in. in. Yeah, yeah. What do you get as a sense overall when you're looking back three years later now on this list and you're seeing like listen to this run right here you can't get any more white bread kind of boring than and this is like not totally fair but Mac DeMarco, real estate spoon. Like, okay, yeah. yeah, they're fine, but like, right. And they're bands that that you know, like I enjoy, but it's um, yeah. I think for a general audience, it's not the most exciting stuff. So, do you think what's happened is that music critics have, in some ways, shifted focus? I mean, these are artists who are releasing new albums this year, right? All three of them, right? Um, and I don't expect them to get the same level of love. No, I don't either. To be honest with you. I think a lot of the albums in that genre that came out that year aren't that great. I think right. a lot of the critical response they got was based off of past success a little bit, where it's like they're continuing to ride that on kind of their name. And not to say that these albums are bad, but I don't think the album Real Estate came out with in 2014 was as good as Days, which they came out with in 2011. No, I don't I agree. think... That Perfume Genius album was nearly as good as Put Your Back Into It. And you can kind of go on down the list. Like TV on the radio, they're not releasing, you know, Return of Cookie Mountain and Dear Science anymore. No, right. So here's where I want to enter into the discussion some of the emo albums you were referencing before. So that year, like you said, Home Like No Place is There by the Hotel Year came out. Never Hung Over Again by Joyce Manor came out. You're going to Miss It All by Modern Baseball. Lose by Symbols Eat Guitars. So... Those are four really great albums, and they were ones that weren't on our radar back in 2014. But with with retrospect, I think we've both come to love those records, and it actually boosts 2014 significantly because those time. are those are some of my favorite albums of the decade. Yeah. Um, and so I think what it makes me wonder is, is the narrative of bad year in music in air quotes the idea that 2014 was this bad year? Do you think a little bit that's kind of a myth because? How bad can a year really be? It's just like a time. It's just sort of it's a sort of arbitrarily selected slice of time, and I wonder like how much of that is if you took the second half of 2013 and the first half of 2014, and then did the second half mm. of 2014 and the first half mm -hmm. of 2015. Like I wonder which of those comes out on top. Well, that's that's the thing, and that's the beauty of this and the fun of this is like the best we have to contextualize these periods of time is just the year markers. Exactly. And yeah, fair or not. I think it is fun to 
say 2014 maybe wasn't a great year, even though you know you could split that up any way you want, and the conversation changes. Right. Well, and to be fair, I, I'm just entering this from a devil's advocate yeah. standpoint. I'm not. I'm just saying it as, as I don't have any evidence to the contrary, and I th- and from everything I've read and from what we've discussed, it does seem like that's true. I I also did a little bit of googling, and I was like, 2015 bad year in music. Bunch of articles came up. You're gonna, 2016 yeah, you, in music, bad year. Articles right. come up. And it feels like it depends on the source you're reading. And to me, I think part of it, and I think what these emos, emo albums that we have come to love sort of prove out a little bit, is like sometimes when that's the narrative, maybe people are just looking in the wrong places. Because can, mm-hmm. it, like nationally and internationally, can there really ever be a bad year in in music it's such a broad concept yeah and genres are so fragmented now it becomes really hard to make a general yeah general um thing like that uh a so, generalization yeah a generalization uh so i mean what if you were to say yeah and i agree with you i agree about the emo albums like joyce manor modern baseball symbols e guitar guitars those are in my top five basically for albums of the, of that year. Yeah, and I wasn't into those when it, in 2014 when I was first discovering all those other ones that I had read off. And it took until basically last year to be like, oh shit, all of these came out in 2014 as well. So in that regard, I think you're right. It kind of depends on where you're looking, and it depends on a lot of the time what critics are talking about, exactly. which isn't totally fair because we we've talked before on this podcast about how that genre gets kind of shafted by yeah. the mainstream music press and that's not totally fair because they're putting out some of the best stuff it also brings to mind a discussion about like what is viewed as good music in the in that moment mm. so like say I, I don't know what year did Let It Be by The Replacements come out 84? 82 uh, yeah, when, yeah when were they doing their really underground stuff because that was when they were signed Early to a 80s, label right? I think yeah. so like say someone wanted to make the argument in 1979 1980 like oh this was a bad year in music which was definitely not true of 79 Right, but what about like the fact that those some of those critics they might be missing stuff that with it yeah. like that underground scenes where today we look back and we're like oh well we, I can look at you know the replacements or right. bands like that where like they, they were killing it in those years and I wonder that's not to refute any point you made but I'm wondering more generally how much do you think the concept of a year in music changes over time because I think it actually yeah. ends up being elastic I think like I, in yeah. another ten years we might be like oh t- 2014 like. A bunch more great albums came out that we were even thinking about. Maybe right. there's an album that came out that year that isn't even on either of our right. radars yet. Right. That's like laying the foundation for a whole new scene that's right. starting, and people will be like, "Oh, that album came out in 2014. That was before right. that was on anyone's that's radar." A great, that's a great point. That's See, a great. It's point. interesting how time might shift it. That's true. I think there's something to be said as well about the way people discover and listen to music and talk about music now compared to uh, in the 80s, 70s, or even the 90s or early 2000s. Because I think now, if you're just into a subgenre like alternative or emo, you can just find places on the internet and Reddit and things like that to only talk about that. And you can kind of stay in your own little bubble. And if you find other people... little bubble. (laughs) If you can find people who are reaffirming your thoughts and opinions, you're going to be happy with that. And you don't necessarily need the mainstream pitchforks of the world to be telling you, yes, this is good. You're like, well, fuck you. I'm talking to my friends on Reddit, and we say it's good, and that's all that matters. That's interesting. Maybe what it'll be is there will be less, like if we're looking at like the 2040s and how this era will be viewed, maybe it'll be less consensus. Because it feels like, 
I mean, with the exception of when, what was it, the spin alternative guide came out. Yeah. I mean, there's more or less, you can look across a variety of sort of music credit, like made, like Rolling Stone, Pitchfork, um, with some variance in terms of how they're ranked. Usually, many of the same albums from the 60s, 70s, mm-hmm. 80s kind of get brought up in conversation mm-hmm. about at, like the best of those eras. And excuse the like buzzwordy term, but it does feel like today we're a little more siloed mm-hmm. in our um, in our sort of scenes in in, um, in that sort of thing because it's like you said with the internet you can just seek out what you want because like Joyce Manor Modern Baseball Symbols Eat Guitars uh, Hotel Year sure that might make 2014 more appealing to us right it's not doing a thing for someone who's who's like like the pop fans who are like well yeah I got a new T Swift but like what else did I get besides like a Hosier in a Drake single yeah or a rap fan who's like oh this year was kind of weak they're right. not seeing that years later and being right. like oh oh yeah oh great year right. now that I realize <laughs> exactly. the Hotel Year put on a record that year like they don't <laughs> right. care right so that is interesting so final verdict 2014 looking back for you because we just talked about how. Those generalizations aren't fair. We're going to make a sweeping generalization right now. What are your thoughts on 2014? How would you rank it in the context of the 2010s? Is is it deserving of that worst year in music? Um, I don't know. So I think it's definitely better than I thought it was. And I'll also fess to the fact that 2014 was a, a switching point year for me in terms of, like, I wasn't as locked into new music. Like, I listened to new music, but not to the level we do now. You had been, I think, in that mode for a few years. Mm-hmm. I sort of, the end of 2014 is where I clicked into that. 2015, 2016, and now is where I've been like trying to listen to every major release. So that is still like in this hazy period where I'm like, I listened to a lot of these. There are some I didn't listen to. and Because I was just at a point in my life where I hadn't prioritized mm-hmm. listening like that. Mm-hmm. I will, I mean, but the only way I can think of it is these albums that we just talked about, those those big four ones from the like sort of punk subgenre, like I didn't, I wasn't turned on to those then. I am now, so it seems like it's it's better than it was then. I would say that 2015, 2016 are were better years. I think, right? They, definitely, they definitely felt stronger. Yep. In the moment. Yep. Um, for me, it's it's the weakest year. Still, like easily, it's not even a question. 2010 is maybe the strongest. Okay. 2012 is also right up there. 11 and 13 were also on par with 15 and 16, I think. 14 is the clear outlier where... And, you know, if you told me that a lot of these artists were going to come out with new albums that year, I would have been really excited. And then, you know, I was disappointed by that real estate album. I was disappointed by TV on the radio. I ended up really only loving Future Islands, St. Vincent, Bombay Bicycle Club, Benji, and then those emo albums... You know, I think there's a lot of decent to good stuff on there. I don't think there's a lot that in 2017, with all the other music I have the opportunity to listen to, do I want to go back and revisit some of these 2014 albums. Like, they're all fine. They're good. None of them are bad, necessarily, but they're just not classics, really. It's I'll, hard It's hard to find those classics that year. I'll give you a great example of an album that, that I like, but I think proves out your theory of sort of the last gasp of emo. Not emo, sorry. Got emo on the brain. Mm. Of indie. Sort of the indie rock dominance that had been the previous 10 years, especially by music critics. It's that Bombay Bicycle Club album. Because to me, that like that's a good album. Yeah. But that's a sound where today... It's boring. Yeah, and, and to be honest, that album has sort of decreased for me in terms of how much I enjoy it. I, still, I don't ever listen to it, really. I don't either, but when I hear songs from it, I'm like, oh, yeah. 
Excuse me. Oh, bad radio. Mm, Bill burp. Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about In and Out Burger. That was our new segment. Bill um, Simmons. Bill Simmons impression. Um, yeah, I think that that's an example for me where like I was all in on that album. Now I don't know how excited by it I would be now. Yeah, and that's kind of how I feel about a lot of those albums. So yeah, 2014, interesting year, interesting kind of outlier year. Let us know what you think at Listen and Pod. Tell us how we're wrong, if we're wrong, that we're stupid. Uh, what was your favorite album of 2014? Benji, Sun Kill Moon. Easy. That's a classic. That is a classic. That's one I will still listen to now. That's one of my favorites of the decade, yeah. period. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, it's honestly, it's Modern Baseball, it's Joyce Manor, it's Hotel Year, and then it's like Bombay Bicycle Club and Future Islands. And then yeah, it's kind of dropped way off after that. For me, it's like the same basic list, but I include Run the Jewels in that general grouping. <laughs> include St. Vincent instead of Run the Jewels for me. And, okay. we're, and yeah. we're pretty much on the same page. See, that's, yeah. an exa- that's a great example of where I was at then, because that's an album, when it came out, I think I was still at UNH, and I was just in a different mode of listening to music. And it was just one that, like, I listened to twice or whatever, and I was yeah. like, oh, I didn't, like, I was just still more loose about, it. I just would, like, not listen to records right, as right. much. So I never, I feel like I don't even know that album very well. Yeah. It's really good if you go back and, re- and re-listen. Dude, uh, what's her name again? Annie Clark? Yes. She is incredible. Dude, yeah. it, at guitar, have you ever, there's this, I forget what it's called, it's a YouTube channel where this guy, he did it with, like, the guy from Queens of the Stone Age. He meets with the guitarists and just talks guitar, th- not theory, but like technique with them and how they play, and he learns from them and stuff. She is fuck. She puts so many guitar players to shame. She's really, really good. Very talented. She it's, like, and I think she has a great voice. She's a great songwriter. She's the the whole package. Yeah, I need to do. I need to do new album from her this year. That's exciting. That's the, the, the cycles we get. That's into. right. Because we get new T Swift this year as well. That's right. Plus, it feels like 2014 retread. We get new Future Islands. We got a new Cloud Nothings album. Like, yeah. You know, a lot, you can go down the list. And I think that I mean, for me, I'm even like I said, I'm more plugged in. And it, we are, like we already we haven't gotten even those albums yet. And I already feel like the year is off to a strong start with some artists yeah. I'd never even heard of before. Yeah. You know, it's actually really interesting. Right in a row on this list. This year, we're also getting new Perfume Genius, new Mac DeMarco, new Real Estate, new Spoon. So, like, like there you go. It's basically 2014 it's, all over it's again. It's cyclical. Yeah. A three-year cycle. Uh, you want to introduce the next segment? Yeah, let's do it. Um, our next segment is a returning segment we've done before. It's Mount Rushmore. And um, since we were looking back at the decade that has been so far, I thought a Mount Rushmore that would be fun to do is best album covers since that decade started. So, since 2010... Um, what are our four favorite album covers? So the album artwork. I don't mean cover songs. Right. I think that was probably clear. <laughs> yeah. Good thing I clarified. Uh, so yeah. what do you, you want to go first? I'll go first. I'll go first. So my first Mount Rushmore, I have My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. So if you recall, this is kind of a provocative album cover. Hey. It's, uh, also it's, has some alternates. A lot of alternates. You can yeah. swap in and out different yes. arts. If you, you can do the one with like the sword going through yes. the king's head. Yep. There's a lot of cool little things on here. One of them is like monster Kanye, like having sex with like a I don't even know what like it's like a white woman. It yeah. Just, it looks like a. Oh, and then there's like the ballerina. There's the a lot of different stuff. Cool. So it's just like that red red border with like the little square image in the middle. It's awesome. Um, my next one is The Suburbs by Arcade Fire. This one also has a bunch of alternates on it. My favorite is the standard one. Yeah. Uh, 
I think all of them are just variations on a car outside of a house, basically. Yeah, it's like an old school looking car yeah, parked outside. I, and I, I like the there's like a certain like filter almost that's on it that like gives it a different color and this old school feel to it. It just really encompasses a time and a place and a feeling for me, and I really like what that album cover does. Quick sub-segment, because you mentioned earlier we should do a segment where we talk about phrases that music writers love. Yes. Stuff music writers love. Sepia-toned is a phrase oh my God. that yeah. I thought of when you when you mentioned those and, album and covers. sepia-toned guitar licks. It's like, oh, oh, I didn't know that guitar licks, which are, are a fucking Instagram which are, filter, which are audi- auditory, could have a visual <laughs> filter. I, but but good, good one there. Uh, yeah, that <laughs> Pitchfork that Arcade Fire album is basically it's sepia-toned in in feeling. So on that's that a new cover. segment we're gonna run back. Stuff music yes, writers we as we come across stuff, we'll 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 throw it out there. Uh, next one, Bonnie Vare, Bonnie Vare, mm-hmm. uh, 2011 album. It's that like portrait, basically pastoral. Of a, yeah, exactly. I'm a sucker for those. It's beautiful. Yeah, it, it actually looks good as just a regular, like a wall hanging. Yeah, it looks it does, good yeah. as just like a portrait, it's like that, a piece not of a portrait, art. a painting you put on yeah. your wall. And then my last one is the Year of Hibernation by Youth Lagoon. Cool album cover as well. Okay, so my Mount Rushmore. Um, I went with Halcyon Digest um, by. Wow. Deer Hunter. I was about to be like Deer Hoof. I'm like, that's not Deer Hoof. <laughs> There's so many bands that are Deer, deer something. something. This is what happened in my brain real quick, bad radio. I went Deer Hunter. I was like, wait, that's wrong. Then I thought Deer Hoof. By that time, I had frozen <laughs> right, on air. Right. And I looked over at you for help. Deer Hunter. Uh, this is an awesome album that I have listened to, despite what that sounds like. Um, big fan of this record. And I think that the... The, the cover is sort of, I mean, you can Google it or whatever, but it's like, it looks like, I guess, a little person. Yeah. Like, a woman. Yeah. It looks like she is maybe part of, I always pictured her as part of, like, an old-timey, very unpolitically correct freak show. Like, that's what it always looks like to Do me. Do you know the backstory behind that? She's, the like, picture? a real person. From when? <sighs> I am not totally sure, but she's like a real person. Does she is she living now in I think she might be. Okay. I think she might be. I this is a really interesting and cool album cover. It's not one of my favorites though, because it freaks me out a little bit, to be okay. honest with you. It like creeps me out. What's the backstory? She's just a real person. She's like a real person. Oh, I thought you were gonna say there was some oh, story I behind. I think there her. is. I, I remember reading something where I think there is something behind it. Okay. Uh, I don't remember bad radio again. But that's okay. Uh, no, yeah, it creeps me out a what, little. What I like about it is that it, um, I think I got into this album at just the right time because it was like during winter. It was right around Christmas. Like I, when I was getting into this, I remember like snow being like kind of falling. And it has the album itself, Halcyon Digest, incredible album if you've never listened to it. It has like this really dark sort of experimental vibe going on. And to me, the album cover just sort of encapsulates that perfectly. It's a little creepy, like the song Helicopter, where it's mm. like the story behind it, if you know it. The lyrics are eerie. And, like, Bradford Cox's weird sort of vibe and all the stuff going on. Deer Hunter is, like, this slightly creepy band. And I just feel like the album cover and the actual sound of that album are perfectly represented by, by one another. For sure is. Um, my second one, um, and I was going to try not to be too repetitious with these lists, but I can't keep this off. My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is also on mine. Um, it's just a classic. And it's mm-hmm. like, I, it definitely is bolstered by the fact that that album is like a 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that's one of my favorites. I'm going to go with Blonde, Frank Ocean, um, as my third entry. I think I I really like 
a couple different kind of album covers that I'm always a sucker for. One is like simple, mm-hmm. like where this one's just a picture of Frank. What I like about it is I feel like it. There's a lot of questions you're asking yourself when you're watching it. Like, why does Frank have green hair on the cover of this album? Why is Frank like wet? Why is he covering his face? Why does he have a Band-Aid on his finger? Yeah, every part of like the picture of him, it's a seemingly simple picture, but I feel like every time I look at it, I'm like, what is he like up to here? Yeah, What's Frank yeah. doing? I, like, did he just get out of the pool? Is he wiping the water out of his eyes? Like, I don't fully understand. Um, I just also think it's like a cool, aesthetically simple album cover. Um, also, as my last one, I have High Violet um, by The National. I think it's a, just a really, really cool album cover. I have that one on vinyl. And um, all the different colors on it, up against the sort of slate gray mm-hmm. backdrop, um, is really, really cool. I think it's mm-hmm. my favorite album cover the National have. Yeah, yep. Um, Let me ask general. you this, because a trend I noticed on both of ours is that these are overwhelmingly from yeah. 2010 and 2011. Is there something, with the exception of Blonde, Blonde's the only one that's not from one of those years. Yeah. Is there something about album covers that with time they just end up becoming classics? And also, a lot of these albums are some of our favorites of this decade. There's definitely something to be said about your favorite just albums and the music also bleeds into the album cover and you associate the good things about the music with the art. Here's a perfect example. An album that I really, really wanted to like because I love the album cover was Sunbather by, um, what's that band called? Death Heaven. Death Heaven. I wanted to love that album because yeah. it has this cool, bright, summery pink album cover with the, like, the letters, I think it says Sunbather or does it say Death Heaven? I don't remember. I don't know. But it's like written in a really cool way. I was like, I want to love this album yep. because I like the album cover. I'm not afraid to admit it. And... I never could end up liking the album, and yeah. I mean, I mean, like on an objective list, maybe that sneaks into my top right, ten. I don't right. know, and album covers, but it, I think definitely your relationship with the actual album is going to influence. Yeah, in years seven, six, seven years removed from all these albums, we have more time to look at them and to associate good things and good feelings with them. So I thought it was just an interesting uh, little footnote. Yeah, and that's why I actually did it. I, it actually kind of worked out that we had that segment about 2014 and this decade so far. I didn't even think of that when I did it, but uh, the reason I cut it at 2010 is I was like, I don't want to do all-time album covers, because that'll just be boring. Like, we'll right. be talking about, I'll be talking about the Beatles and Led Zeppelin. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, like, I don't want to do that. Right. And because what happens is with time, like, those album covers become classics, and they right. become cooler because of what they're associated with and what they mean historically. There's a reason why everyone has a Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon t-shirt, yeah. even, if Abbey, they don't, even if they don't really listen to it. Right, or an Abbey Road album cover, yep. not album cover, poster above exactly. their dorm room bed. Exactly. Which I had, and that I think Basic. a lot of people had. It is basic. It's like the epitome of a basic poster. Yeah, it's like yeah, like a Bob Marley poster right, in right, your in your right. uh, in your dorm room. Right. The uh, the Animal House College. Yeah. You know. But you know what? The thing about all those things, all, uh, the college thing, and then Abbey Road, they're both iconic pictures. That's they're kind, right. They're That's cool right. images. So That's I mean, right. it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, now but for basic. everyone's favorite new segment, Ooh. the segment that's sweeping the nation. All right, I got to warm up. Two truths and a lie. Okay. So this is Sean's turn this, this week. This is my turn. I picked, and since there's been so much talk about Sun Kill Moon and Mark Kozelik over the last month, he kind of dominated the month of February in a way, even though his album sucked. Yeah, man. It he was, was a big... We talked about him like three weeks in a row. Really quick, 
how about Pitchfork just punting and giving this album a 6.5? They gave Universal Themes a lower score, and Universal Themes is so much better than this. You know what they did? I know for a fact this is what they did, and I think it's what a lot of critics are doing. A lot of critics, in my opinion, are are being safe on this album and are being like, we don't want... They're hedging. Want, they're hedging their bets. We don't want to be the Rolling Stone that gave Led Zeppelin one a really negative yeah. review and have it look bad on us years later when it's like, oh, guess what? It's seen as a work of genius. People, I think, are a little afraid to do it because of his history with Benji. And like, it's it does seem like an album where it's certainly uncompromising. It's certainly a statement. Yep. And it, it seems it's epic in scope. It yep. has a lot of those, like, hey, stuff music writers love. Yeah. It has a lot of that. So I think, like, Pitchfork and a lot of music writers are, like, kind of, like you said, they're a little afraid to the, dip their big they're, toe they're in. They're hedging bets here, and I think that's a great, great point. And it's it's kind of lazy on their part. It's a pun. They're saying, like, ah, it's a two-hour album, and we didn't really want to listen to it that much, so we're just going to throw out this kind of safe score. If you were to write an album review of that, like, first of all, give me a worse assignment. I know. Get, like, and then give it a 6.5. At least give me a score where I can, like, talk about what you're doing. Like, you know what? I know. As much as I disagree with The Needle Drop for giving this album a 9, I would be much more likely to watch that review yeah. and see how he loved this, yep. this interminable, punishing record. Mm-hmm. Than a six point five just middle of the road review. I'm never gonna read that. No, because like the album, it's probably too long and boring. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. anyways, that was a tangent. We're we're going Mark Kozelik, Sun Kill Moon. Okay. On our two truths and a lie. So this is Sean's turn to stump I, me. I will say, when I first started this, I was like, oh, there's a lot of nice, interesting trivia about him out there on the internet. When I actually went to go look. It was harder than I thought, and I couldn't find a ton of stuff that wasn't super obvious. So this one might be a little bit easier, maybe, than than others, because I feel like the things that are out there, you might already know. But all the same, okay. uh, we'll just we're take going it. two truths and a lie. I did my best. Uh, number one. Okay. After the dissolution of Mark's original band, the Red House Painters, he recorded an album of all ACDC covers in a rearranged folk rock style. That's fact or lie, number okay. one. Number two, Mark is a longtime boxing fan and was inspired to name Sun Kill Moon after a South Korean boxer of the same name. Number three. Okay. In addition to being a musician, Mark Kozelik is also an actor, but he refuses to play himself or a character based on himself in any of the movies he appears in. Okay, so off the bat... He sings a lot about boxing on this album, <clears throat> mm-hmm. on this most recent record, yep. which is two hours long and like a long diary entry. <laughs> right. Also off the bat, I know he acted in the movie Almost Famous. I know he played a member of like the band in that movie. The first one about ACDC, I don't really have a feeling for. Mm-hmm. I can't sort of, I, I don't have, I know that Red House Painters was his band, so I know that mm-hmm. half of it is true. Mm-hmm. Hmm. This one's tough. I feel like I'm going to have to just go with my gut and say I'm going to bad radio because that's a lot of silence. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go with um, the second one, the boxing one, is fake because maybe it's a distractor and it wasn't named after someone. Okay. So I will say the first one is true. The okay. ACDC one is true. Okay. 
The boxing one is true. Damn. The boxing one's true. The last one, the acting one, is wrong because Mark Kozelek is an actor. Yeah. But not only has he played people based on himself like he did in Almost Famous, yeah. he's literally played himself uh, okay. in two, 2015 movie Youth. Um, he played Mark Kozelek. He played his, himself. Oh, okay. That okay. he recounted on the song Birds of Flims. On universal themes. You got me. Yeah. Hey, you know yeah. what? The um, the person who orchestrates the two truths and a lie two weeks in a row is has won. That's right. How many of these have we done now? Four? We've done four. You're three and one. Yeah. Yeah. Only one of us has gotten it. It was I think it was, the, what, the Pearl Jam one? The first one that we did got, that I yeah. got? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe should have guessed that third one, which, of course, I would say after I lost oh, by oh, not yeah. guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. right. Hey, no, that's a good one. That you was got fun. Me. That was that's a good, good one. one. Dude, two truths and a lie gets 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 me going. I, I'm excited. I'm excited by that. All right, so our last segment of the week is recommendations of the week. Um, Sean, what do you got? Okay. Um, I kind of have two for you here. One is a late entry for me. I didn't know we could just sort of play fast and loose with the rules <laughs> of the segments. <laughs> We're playing fast and loose. I didn't know we could just sort of, you know, ooh, I'm going to make up rules as I go. <laughs> the Build the plane as we fly it. <laughs> um, the first one is a rock band called White Reaper. Uh, they have an album coming out in April. They have a couple songs that have already come out. Called One is called The World's Best American Band, which I think is also going to be the name of this album. Kind of cocky if you ask me. And then the other one is called Judy French. These are two really good rock songs that don't totally sound like anything else that is out there right now. It's a mixture of, like, punk, garage, and, like, arena rock. Whoa. Kind of all rolled into one. This song, The World's Best American Band, literally starts out with, like, piped-in crowd noise. And I was first listening, I was like, oh, this is going to be so lame and over the top. The song's awesome. Really? It's really good. I think... Harkening back to my first recommendation of the week ever, Julie Byrne, I think this is going to get some good play, some good press. I think this is going to end up being a pretty good album. Uh, so check out those White Reaper songs. The late entry I had, Alex G is coming out with a new album soon, oh. too. He released a couple of songs today. One in particular I really, really like. Have you ever listened to an album by no, Alex G? I, I haven't. I haven't. He's one of those names you just hear about. You're like, oh, yeah, He's Alex someone who's G. big in like those punk scenes. Yeah, like, he, like people he, always like he's a figurehead. cite him as an influence, but I've never actually listened to him. He's referenced in Symbols Eat Guitar songs. Yeah. So quick stuff music critics love. Yeah. Genre agnostic yeah, or like being a genre chameleon. Yes. So, from what I understand, this song, Bobby, by Alex G, is like a basically like a country bluegrass song. It's Whoa. awesome. There's like strings, there's like fiddles, basically. Basically sounds like a country song. He's like a normally rock artist. Um, right. And then the other song that came out is more, it, it's not like this at all. So, he's being kind of a genre chameleon with this. Check out this song, Bobby, though. It's also really good. Sort of like the birds going country with Sweetheart of the Rodeo. That's right. That's I don't right. know if it sounds anything like that. It I've might. never listened to that album or Alex G. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of an overstep by me. Um, my recommendation of the week is the song Pegasy by Jessica Hoop, who we already referenced in this, epi- <laughs> yeah. uh, in this episode. Um, it's just a really beautiful um, acoustic sort of just folky song with one of my favorite earworm melodies of the year in the chorus when she sings supernova like that part the i don't know what it is about that and the chord she has under it it just like kills me every mm. time 
Um, this is my favorite song on the Jessica Hoop album. This is the entry point for Jessica Hoop here. Yeah. This is the entry point. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that... Because she does some sort of genre jumping too. Oh, big time! She because like memories are now the first song has like a the bounce of like a Paul Simon yeah. Afro pop song. Yeah. Um, I also really quick point. I know I've had a few tangents tonight, but this this is one. I was talking to Dan, big friend of the pod, a guy I work with, and we were talking about Afro pop. And the only artists I could think of to describe it in my head were Paul Simon and Vampire Weekend. Mm. And I was like, how sad is it that the only way I can think to describe or Afro Peter Gabriel. The point still remains. How sad is it <laughs> yeah. that because that's another one I could have thought of. How sad is it that the only people I can think of to represent Afro pop are white people who've appropriated it? <laughs> yeah, yep. How sad is that? That's pretty sad. That's it's, checking your privilege though, which yeah, I respect. Fair enough. But I was like, oh, you know, Afro pop, like Paul Simon. I was like, how lame are you, dude? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, and he he tried he tried to turn me on to some yeah actual authentic African music. That I'm going to try to give a listen, yeah, see if I like nice, it. Nice. Um, so yeah. Anyways, uh, recommend- sad. <laughs> My recommendation of the week is Jessica Hoop with <laughs> Pegasi. Beautiful it's a great song. song. Shades of um, Joanna Newsom a little bit, mm-hmm. like a way more poppy and like easy to listen to. Joanna Newsom, maybe a little more accessible. Yeah, yeah, but on the immediate. Good recommendation, and uh, that about does it for this week's episode. We'll be back with our our dual mic attack next week. Thanks, everyone. Let's give this a go. Okay, so this is pretty exciting because we've finally graduated to using two microphones. So this could potentially sound a lot better for people. It could sound a lot better. We're going to... Actually, I'm laughing at how much (laughs) more this seems like what a podcast should look like. We're actually sitting at a table across from each other with our laptops on the table with a microphone right next to both of our faces like at chest like, level at like the right place for it to be yeah it's like a, it's a more legit operation instead of hovering over like one mic and look look good feel good Sean yeah. you know what I mean like this feels legit maybe we're gonna get a step up in terms of like overall quality I really hope we do this is exciting yeah. this is exciting it is um, I feel like fucking Bill Simmons right now yeah uh, you're like telling except, except uh, I don't constantly have like a cough yeah, I like need like to be a, clearing my throat a bubble in your throat right he does that all the time. Yeah, constant. He'll and uh, you know, um, and he's like breathing through like a like a burp, but he's like, not actually burping. It's like, whoa, it's really weird. And you always hear him like he does that a lot. Seatgate. <laughs> oh, our sponsor since 1978. It's like that's not funny. It, 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 I actually don't mind. He picks a different year every time, which is like, you know what, that's okay. That's I don't listen. I skip the ads. Oh, you do? Yeah. Sometimes it's like I throw it on in the car when I get in, and I just like, ah, yeah. I'm not going to skip yeah. it. I don't care. So, yeah, this feels pretty legit. Um, I hope it sounds all right. We have basically we have two USB mics. They're both good. One is better than the other, so it might be the case that one of our voices records a little better on this mm. than the others. And I think what we should do is just invest in the same mic. Agreed. And we'll be, yeah. uh, we'll be uh, you know, good to go. Yeah, ready to party. I agree. I agree. We set a smart goal 
to do this for the end of February. We basically hit it. We hit it by the beginning of March. This, was our, t- this is our first episode in March, so we pretty much figured it out by the end of February. All so. it took was um, just like reading a little bit on my part and not it giving re- up immediately. It took a Google search to basically do figure it. Figure it out instantly, yeah. 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 And, it, and, uh, and we got it done. So you and know, now you can put podcast producer on your resume and on your LinkedIn. All done endo- and done. All- <laughs> did that months ago. I'll endorse you on LinkedIn for being a podcast producer if you want. You know, the one thing I'm thinking is we have this table now, and if I feel like if, if we shake it, it's going to... Like, I was just shaking it. Yeah, don't shake it. I, I won't anymore, but if we... Shake I, it off. I think we're going to, like, inadvertently move it during the process. Mm. Like, we have to be careful about, like, having our hands even on it. I'm going to just do this. Okay. I'm going to, like, hold the walls. Oh, in okay. My, yeah, that's weird, but okay. Jake, don't do that because sure. I, I won't be able to like, sure. take it seriously. Yeah, maybe, yeah, don't do that. Um, okay, you want to dive in? Yeah, let's dive in. Okay, let's dive in. Want to dive in? You know, Jake, I, yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're right. See, this is where things Hold start on. to come apart at the seams. Yeah, right. We, we both have our own mic. We both get a little uh, ego yeah, about think, us. Yeah, we think it... I just got away. I, that's not my voice doesn't really sound that bad. I just moved from the mic. Get a little water, mm. you know. Agent Orange. Oh, okay. Okay, let's dive in. <sighs> yeah, that's not necessary. It's <laughs> <That's> not <laughs> a reaction that's natural. Okay, three, two, one. 